Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Back on the things we say for another round. Yes, we are. And it seems like we have uh, been around, but we actually took a week break because we got a week ahead on our Satanic Panic and Dungeons and Dragons uh, episodes. Yeah, thanks to Nelson for giving us two weeks worth of content in one week. Yes, it was a wonderful thing, and I am very pleased, but I'm glad to be back as well. For sure. And we're always glad to be in the same room at the same time whenever yes. that's possible. Yeah, we get kind of, we get sad. And uh, yeah, tonight I happen to be using my custom molded earbuds. And boy, is it a dramatic difference in sound from what I normally use in terms of bass. Like just gotcha. listening to the intro through that, it was like, ah, as opposed <laughs> to just, ah, you know, those are technical terms, by the way. <laughs> those are super technical. Super technical. Oh, my gosh. So we return to the world of sports for our Did You Know today. Nice. Did you know? Okay. Which major league team in any of the top four major sports in the U.S., so NHL, NFL, NBA, and MLB. Okay. Which team has the longest playoff drought? Oh man, I thought you were I, gonna. I thought you were gonna do an easy one like which team has the most championships or something like right. that, which I think would be the but Celtics. Right, right but now, currently, not not longest playoff drought ever, but current the longest current drought. Longest current playoff drought. <sighs> Give you a hint. It was the Buffalo Bills, I believe, but they broke it. Now, in order for it to be a drought, does it have to be a team who has made the playoffs at one point? Just make. Any playoff game, and you break the trap. You break the draft. Okay, okay. You're off the hook though, because the Cleveland Browns are number two on this list. Okay, okay. They were going to be my guess, but that didn't seem right because I felt like that was too easy. They're number two. They're number two, and I want to assume that it's not going to be a football team because again, that would be too much of a give. I, I don't you know. You are right. You I straight it up, down. I straight up don't know, but I'm going to just venture a guess. I'm going to guess it is. I'm going to guess it's the NHL. Okay. And I know like three teams at the NHL. <laughs> it's not the NHL. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you for that. Uh, I didn't. I. I don't think it's the NHL. And, and the worst one from the NBA <laughs> on this list comes in at four for the Minnesota Timberwolves at 13 seasons. Oh wow. I got nothing, though, so it's got to be baseball, right? Yep. Okay, so it's baseball. Give it up. I got Seattle nothing. Seattle Mariners. Really? 16 seasons. They have not made the playoffs since 2001. The last September that the Mariners were in the playoffs was the year of September 11. Wow. That's how yeah, long I would, ago Yeah, I would was. not have guessed that. I would not and have guessed Cleveland that. And the Cleveland Browns are second. They're Although hoping to break it. They are hoping, and they're working to break it, man. They're actually hoping to have a home playoff game, which is not something any sane person would attend. No. <laughs> no. Oh, I would. I yeah, would Yeah, totally. because you are going to be insane about the Browns. <laughs> and again, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just excited to get to be excited about football for once because <laughs> I did not grow up with a football team. We've talked about this many times. But, I did not. And but so it will be exciting that our locally broadcast NFL game is now watchable. Yes, will we'll matter. It used to be like, Although ah, last season, Browns Last season was own. exciting. It was a lot of fun to watch them play. They, they won less often than they should have. But it was it was a lot of fun to watch them last year. Right. So yeah, <laughs> poor Mariners. <laughs> poor guys. Yeah. Yeah. Did, so that was, uh, did that coincide with them not having Ken Griffey Jr.? I, that I could not put my finger on. I bet it did because there was a time where they were a powerhouse. They had Ken Griffey Jr. and they had uh, oh, what's his tall 
redneck looking dude who d- exploded the bird with a pitch. Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you said tall redneck looking dude, <laughs> I knew exactly who that was. <laughs> I think anybody would. <laughs> oh, man. Are rednecks not known for being tall? I don't know if that's, you know, <laughs> always the case, but that seems right. It seems weird. That seems right. I think it just seems right. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about dovetailing <clears throat> dovetailing off of what we talked about with Nelson last over the last two episodes with Satanic Panic and some of that. Yeah. One caveat to that that we didn't discuss because it's so broad was the music portion of the Satanic Panic. We yeah. talked about it a little bit. Um, but when I started to dive into it, somebody on Facebook mentioned the Hell's Bells videos, right? which I had not seen. You'd never seen any of them? I hadn't seen them, no. Oh, wow. Apparently, there's an original Hell's oh, yeah. Bells, and some people break it down on YouTube, but I struggled to find the original yeah. on YouTube. But Hell's Bells 2 is on YouTube, where he took six hours to do this all again. Yeah, the, the it's original... A, it's the a original... documentary... Sorry. Done in like the 80s. Uh, it looks like it's done in the 80s. Or the, the, the original Hell's Bells was done in the 80s. And I, I believe, um, I believe it shoot, was... What was the guy's name that did it? But if you, basically, if you find him with a mullet, a permed mullet, yes. you have found the original. Um, but the original one, I believe, was done in the 80s because they didn't go past like thriller era... Michael Jackson, maybe late 80s. Was yeah, when it they... doesn't give the guy's name in the title. It just says the apologetics group. But what is yeah. that dude's name? I forget. I forget. But yeah, I that was something that was in my, once again, my church library in Coshocton, Ohio, growing up. And I remember watching that. I watched that multiple times, mostly just for interest in the actual music groups so that you were being watched, shown in it. You yeah. watched Hell's Bells? Oh, yeah. The original one all yeah. the way through. Oh, yeah. Now, I read... I read that book about uh, about terror in the toy box or yeah, whatever right, it is right. that we posted. As did I. Yeah, and I, I read that for the same reasons. Yeah, it had things that I was interested in. I was like, in, ooh. So, yeah, just curiosity. Kind of spooky curiosity. and edgy and weird. Yeah, yeah but there were some... I, I actually discovered some very interesting musical artists based on that. Based on that, uh, on You're that like, video. Oh, I didn't know these people existed. Well, it was as close again, as you could get to watching MTV. Yeah, totally. And at the time, um, at the time, secular music outside of like James Taylor and Motown era stuff, you know, maybe some Beach Boys, maybe some things like that. Like secular music was just not a thing for me. I mean, I was yeah. like, I was a, I was a, in grade school at the time when I watched this, and. Um, so it was just interesting to me and seeing that world. And I probably viewed it for more of, okay, this is a thing that I'm going to avoid in the future. Um, of course, now I don't, but now I'm an adult and I can make reasonable decisions instead of just being scared by selective images that someone's showing me. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Hell's Bells, if you ever get to watch them, they're very interesting. Um, very cringy. Don't use them as source material because a lot of what you see and hear will be incorrect or at the very least... What's the word I want to use? Um, misleading. We'll just go with misleading. Yeah. We'll just go with misleading. Leave it at that. And one of the things that I've seen watching as much of it as I've watched is they like to take things that are non-related yeah. and relate them all and then line them up linearly and says this, cause this, cause this, cause this. Right. And it that kind of thinking from, from my reading and conspiracy theories is dead on. Right. That's that's how all conspiracy theories are written. The fake, right. fake ones, the ones that people believe, the ones that people don't believe. The ones that end up being right. Yeah, the there ones are that some end of those. up being right. Yeah, exactly. But if you if you start out with this particular thing that you want to demonize, yeah. and then you go and gather all your source material and then line it up and try and prove causation, you're going to do the exact same thing as what they do in these videos and in most conspiracy theories. Right. Most conspiracy theories work from the end result of what you want backwards, Mm -hmm. which is why I love the Titanic conspiracy, because it's so interconnected and intertwined. Right, right, right. And it's not just... 
It's not just, I wish any other ship would have sunk <laughs> other than the Titanic and then work back from there. Right. It's like, there's a number of things that don't make sense. And if we pull on enough threads, what do we find? Right. And we find something that could be maybe plausible. Plausible, true, yeah. Yeah. But it's more in like, it's stuff that comes to light through investigation and leads to something that could be bigger. And then you latch onto that. Right. So that's not where the satanic panic came from. And it's also not where this whole criticism of music in general, where, where that came from, it was more, I don't like this music and I think it's doing something bad. Right. So let me, let find, me work back from yeah. there and find out why I don't like it. Yeah. And then the person who's researching in this case, like one guy and maybe a team of people that believes exactly like him right. is, is cherry picking stuff all the way back through, which belies his bias. Right. You can see it. Right. And they make no distinction between like pop music and stuff that you would know and like um, genuinely dark. Yeah. Like aggressively dark music. Yes. Because that, that's an outlier. There are particular rock concerts that you would never let your kids go to and for good reason. Right. Totally. Because there's going to be tons and tons of drugs. Right. The, the, the concert itself is going to be fairly violent. Right. And there's not much any security could Can do, do to about stop it. it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there, I know some people that have traveled in like bands and stuff. And if they were playing shows where it didn't matter who was at the show and you're at a really hard rock show... There are particular crowds that just get out of control yeah. and nobody can stop Nobody can it. do anything They'll about it. They'll smash up the whole stage yeah. and all kinds of stuff. We get it. Yeah. Like, people are out of control. Does that mean that, you know... All music that is not whatever... The Beatles are the devil right. and Elvis was the devil. Right. And, you know, you're, right. like, how far back do you want to go in your demon finding. Right. And that's the thing that's so interesting to me is, is one of the things that they're always, that, that people are always pushing is, is things like classical music. Like, Oh, this was great. Well, but if you know anything about a lot of classical composers, they were lived just as debaucherous and crazy lives as any, I mean, they were the rock stars of their era. Yeah. And, and again, there were some, there were again, some outliers that like Bach, who was very Christian in his, in his approach. And it was a, it was all, you know, for the glory of God kind of thing. And people always want to quote him. We never want to quote Mozart. Well, and many of those <laughs> great composers were paid by the church. Yes. To yes. do what they did. Yeah. So they were doing church music with church funds. Right. And so you're like, yeah, this seems like Christian music. But that wasn't all the composing exactly. that was happening. Exactly. And people make no <clears throat> distinction at all. Like, they would just be like, oh, yeah, that's all fine. Yeah. And you didn't make any distinction. Then you have Wesley, who would take the, the bar tunes. Yeah. And, and turn them into gospel songs. Right. And then having the Mennonites call those hymns. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite experiences ever was sitting around with my wife's family the very first time and hearing them all sing hymns, most of which I don't know. And I know a lot of hymns, like actual right. hymns. And, and we were having a discussion later. I said, you do realize these are not hymns. These are like turn of the 20th century gospel songs. And she's like, well, we've always just called them hymns. I'm like, okay, but they're not hymns. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, no criticism of that. It is. It is the. It was the music that was reaching people in the day, but it had its time. And the Red Mennonite Hymnal yes. has quite a time span. Yes. In it, and for those, that's a very small subset yes. of people that would have any idea what I'm talking about. Although I feel like a lot of our listeners would have at least some exposure <laughs> to that. I could be wrong. I still have a couple of them. They're great. <laughs> But they, but that's what I'm saying. Like these, these tunes, like that was a great preacher at a great time taking a tune that was secularly recognized, like right. in all the bars, they're singing this tune anyway. Right. I'm just going to put great lyrics to them. Yeah. And which is biblical because <laughs> if you look at the Psalms, there are a ton of them where it's a Psalm of David sung to the tune of, and it will give a non-sacred tune right. that was used for singing a song. So for any of my fundamentalist friends out, out, out there, that is absolutely biblical in the strictest sense. Yeah. So many people have done it. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was looking for something in particular that I was going to pull up, and I, I can't 
find it offhand. Um, but there, there have been people that, that fundamentalist pastors who have called out, you know, in comes this new, like, music that's made in the image of rock and roll. Right. And we're supposed to worship to it. And out goes the ties. And out goes the hymnals. And in comes this beat yeah. that is... You know, and and the beat being something that's inherently evil. That's Somehow. something that is really laid out in both of the Hell's Bells videos yep. is how the beat of the music itself, whether you're worshiping to it or not, yeah. is somehow inherently evil. Yeah. And then I read Psalms, loud and clanging cymbals. Yeah. And, you know, singing upon, uh, singing using the lyre. The right. lyre is the closest thing the Old Testament had to a guitar. Right. It was pretty close. Right. And, and loud and crashing cymbals. Here we go. So it's okay for Davidic uh, temple worship right. to happen that way. Right. Well, but, and again, a, a pipe organ is not any of those things. No. So it, again, if you're, if you're adhering to the idea that only what is, what is biblically allowed is what should be allowed, then you have no justification for what we now consider traditional church music as well. And I remember one of my favorite things was uh, <clears throat> hearing a worship pastor, Lyndall Cooley, who was uh, part of the Brownsville church back in the day. <clears throat> I think he's pastoring in Tennessee somewhere now, but he, he was talking about how, you know, when the, when the organ came into existence, how there were people who were just horrified that they would bring this instrument that sounded like demons screaming from the pit of hell and allow it into their church and allow it to be played and sung to. And now it's these wretched guitars that sound like demons screaming from the pit of hell instead of the organ, which is the truth. And so this is not new. Like this whole idea of resistance to transition, of resistance to changes in worship style and acceptance from what is common culture... Um, is not new. Right. And really, what people fail to realize is, is that when the Catholic Church was in its peak, it was the driver of all art, not because it was the church, but because it had all the funds. Yeah. It, it was so incredibly wealthy and so incredibly powerful that it was the only source outside of a local patron that you could have to actually get work funded. Um, and so that's why all of these artists who, again, otherwise were not necessarily all that friendly towards Christianity, nor was Christianity all that friendly towards them, were willing to work for the church because yeah. it allowed them to express themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about the organ and the, and the guitars, the flute was thought, was thought of the same way. Yeah. Like, no Christian girl should ever play right. the flute. Like, there were many people that pounded away and yeah. said that. It was type a of pagan thing. instrument. And it, and was, it was, yeah. it's used particularly for dancing and, yeah. and that type of thing. That was yeah. the real concern. <laughs> and, I've, and I've thought so often about how many people, even, even in the, historical writings of the church that we attend yeah. have a huge problem with dancing. And yet it's all through the Psalms. Right. All through. Right. It's like, and well, then, and, and, a and, lot and of even that... going back further, like Moses and, and, uh, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, and they all danced right before the Lord. Well, and, and this and is then, part of the problem that I have is because we, we took something that, so if you're looking, you're talking to the Nazarene church in particular, I'll take a swipe at, at, at my own people. You know, because there is... Well, they're there, mine too. I'm happy to... Yeah, well, and there is... Yeah, our, our people is what I right. mean. Sorry. Um, there is there is language in the manual that is specifically about dancing and about being careful in that sense. And I mean, it's, it's not... As with so many things with the Nazarene Church, it's not hard and fast. Again, there are a few ones where I go, why is that a hard and fast It's rule? expression caution. Yeah. yeah. But there was this thing that happened in like the 50s, 60s, you know, through the 80s, where it was like, this means we should not dance at all. Not in worship. Yeah, not that's in, what I'm it, getting and it at. Never, it never. It doesn't even seem to imply that in the manual. But again, there was this kind of excessive fundamentalist uprising that happened in the Nazarene Church in that era that has since mostly faded away. Um, that really, really took that to a degree that it was never intended by the founders of the denomination and had absolutely no place. I mean, they were crazy in the first years of our denomination in terms of their expression and worship and you know people you know, getting out and marching around tents and, 
you know, jumping and screaming. And wh- I mean, it was, cra- it was crazy. I mean, those tent revivals back in the day were nuts. Is that why we call our annual meeting a camp meeting? Yeah, it has its roots in those old, uh, those old tent meetings. That, that we always used to seemed do. odd to me. Yeah, like, but honestly, it is interesting because even though that's becoming largely a thing of the past for a lot of our uh, our other districts, um, a lot of places we're we're unique in that we we happen to be very very close to uh, one of our Nazarene universities, and so we get to be hosted by that university. A lot of them do straight up campgrounds. They're in old chapels. They're staying okay. in cabins. Like it's still. They go school, camp out for their annual Which meeting. is why most people don't want to go to them anymore. <laughs> because modern society has moved beyond being comfortable with being in cabins without air conditioning yes. the or electricity can still in July. Move, yes. Whether or not you're in a physical tent. That's very true. That's <laughs> very true. Even even the Israelites caught on to that eventually and like, we should actually build a place we can be inside of to worship the Lord instead of we just using build this the Lord tent. like a house. A building. <laughs> Yes. So yes, progress in that sense is good. But yeah, so there, there are just those things where, where for some reason people in Christianity have fixated on a particular idea or a particular sound or a particular method or a particular style of delivering the gospel and just treat it as if it's absolute apostasy when it has no um, essential base difference. It's right. still the gospel. It's still the truth. It's still biblically accurate, but we don't like that it's changed. Um, here's something. Yes. I was, I was reading something that John Mark McMillan was writing on Twitter, mm. and he was talking about the use of bad theology, quote unquote, yeah. in worship songs. And he's like, it's totally allowed. He's like, have you seen any of the imprecatory Psalms where David is calling down curses yeah. upon his enemies yeah. and saying, you know, even to the point of like, dashing their kids against a rock right? and and stuff like that. He's like, is God going to do that <laughs> just because David told him so? Yeah. That's not the God we know. Right. Like, and, and we don't ever see that where somebody, you know, where David by, by his song somehow actually called down a curse upon somebody. He was expressing something from his heart. Right. And what... What John Mark McMillan was saying, you can go read his, his Twitter thread, and yeah. he says it way better than I'm, I'm describing it. But he was saying the important thing is that we express our heart in its truest form to our Lord. Yeah. And that there is that heart-to-heart connection between us and God. Yeah. And he's like, in that, if I'm feeling something that may not be theologically sound, yeah, I'm expressing it, and I, I need him to hear my heart. It's not yeah. like... We all need to sing something that's that's off. You know what right. I mean? Like we don't all need to necessarily do that congregationally. Right. And there there's there's some thoughts in that, but there is room for worship that doesn't adhere to a strict theological. Yeah. yeah. Like we have to suss out and interpret every word. Otherwise, we would only sing scripture. Yeah. And. You know, right? I, I think there's, I, I understand where he's coming from with this, but I think there's also some caution that needs to be had on that. Only in that, if you're talking theology in terms of the broader sense of denominations and, and movements, interpretation of who God is and how he works, yeah, I'm with you. But if you're talking about base... And I didn't, I didn't necessarily give endorsement. No, totally, not totally, not at all. And I mean, I mean him. I'm yeah. saying that in the figurative sense. You know, yeah. if, he's, if that's what he's saying, I'm with him on that. But if you're talking... And I, knowing John Mark McMillan as I do, following him over the years, I tend to think that's more where he's going. Right. But if you're talking like the basis of who God is, again, not necessarily like David is where he's calling about for destruction of people, but not necessarily appealing to the nature of God himself. You see this throughout Scripture where David, where throughout the Psalms, where David laments about all the horrible things that are happening, and he goes into those things. But he always comes back to the reality of the goodness of God, yes. the reality of the love of God, the reality of the forgiveness of God, regardless of what his his ranting has been. So he always had that foundation of God is good, God is loving, God is just, Yes. and here's my rant. And, and he was very distinct in disconnecting those two things. Here yeah. is me, here is God. And, and in the Psalms, it's always couched around hope and blessing yeah. and promise. Right. You know, and, and, the, and the goodness of God, it's all wrapped right. up. And so, in, so in to that expressing. end, there has to be some theological soundness. Um, I know there was a song that came out uh, a while back, um, and it's funny because this is one of those reckless love uh, kind of debates, but there was a song called um, 
I think it's called You're the One That Really Matters. And I think Michael W. Smith even covered it with Carrie Job. And it was a cool song. I mean, I liked it. But in the chorus, or in the bridge, there's a line that says, uh, that says, chaotic love has messed me up and I can live again. And I had a problem with that because there's nothing in God that's chaos. Yes. He's a God of order. He's a God of... So that to me, I'm like, this is theologically incorrect about who God is and what he does. Now... You can look at the reckless love thing, and a lot of people made that argument, but that was from a profound misunderstanding of what the, what was actually being said. It was not, yeah. Anyway, so so there are some things where I think you can you can get into the weeds with that, but eighty percent of the time, ninety percent of the time, I'm going to agree with him on that. Yeah, he says <laughs> here. Here was the original tweet. I don't believe even for a second that the answer to shallow worship music is better theology. Yeah, at least if the term theology is used in the conventional sense. I guess my point here is that I believe that worship is foremost about sharing your life with your maker and his people, not just reciting facts back to God that he already knows about himself. Right, right. So, and, and he was basically saying, like, would you say that a parrot is worshiping if you sing a worship song to it? Basically yeah. that idea. Right. Like, we're not, yeah. In my opinion, shallow worship music is shallow because we don't give ourselves to it. It's about vulnerability and honesty, not yeah. that the information is irrelevant, just that it doesn't mean much if you give all the correct answers, but not yourself. Yeah. If we come and we offer God a correct theological song right. and we go home, I guess the term bad theology at the beginning is going to get people all messed up because that's not really <laughs> what he said. But... It's theology, okay. We've self-corrected. They're, theology they're not being it. the most important thing right. in worship, but the giving all of ourselves yeah. and expressing that to the Lord is really, really important. Yeah. You know. Anyway, I think we're way off of. No, where we I don't need to think be. so. I don't think so at all because I think this. I think this relates is because human expression is human expression, right. and if it's not sin, then it can be worship. It can be. I mean, think about Lamentations. Think about Ecclesiastes. Some of these things where they're just horrible things that are, that are being spoken, that are being said, depressing, whatever. But there's a genuineness to it. There's a rawness to it. There's a, there's a reality to it that is, is expression without sin. And uh, again, there are sinful things. There are shameful things that should not be included. But to say that human expression in and of itself, in a very Amish sense, and saying that after such and such a century, it's not okay to express ourselves creatively is very problematic. Oh, yeah. It's very, very problematic and, and oh, just incorrect. Not even problematic. It's found, just incorrect. Found the bad theology one. The Psalms are full of bad theology, and that's why they're so beautiful. That's why they're important. Yeah. It depends on our definition of theologically sound. For instance, what do you do with Psalms 137.9? But this proves my point. Technically, it's bad theology to be happy for any, anybody's children to be smashed to death, even if it's your enemies. But it's good theology to be able to offer your feelings about this in song. Yeah. It's I good have... theology to offer up, quote-unquote, bad theology as worship, if that's truly how you feel. And, and then he was going back to something he said about just thinking that worship is like a rain dance. Yeah. You know, he's like, the idea of a rain dance is if I say the magic words, then do mm -hmm. the magic dance, then it will make something happen. People often use theology this way too, as if singing correct information is like casting a magic spell. Right. Which again, gets problematic. <laughs> because exactly. you end up in the position of, you end up in the position of the prophets of Baal instead of Elijah. Yeah. And that is a problem. <laughs> The whole point here is that on both sides, we need to be listening to God. We need to be hearing Him yeah. and expressing and bringing all of ourselves in worship. If you have a mode of worship that you show up and it costs you nothing, you connected with nothing, you left nothing there, right? and you leave exactly the same as you came in, it's not doing you or anybody else a exactly. bit of good at all. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing. That's, that's why. And, and to be fair, I've, I, I realized long ago that most people who are, I want to sing the hymns people, or I want to sing, you know, what was popular in the seventies, you know, the Jesus people movement, like those are the things I want to go back to is saying, I've, I've come to the point where I realize as a worship pastor that they're not actually, 
they don't actually feel like that music itself was sacred. But what they do remember is the experiences that they had with the Holy Spirit when such and such a song was being played or when yeah. you know, such and such an era of music was happening. And it's almost like spiritual muscle memory. The instant that song comes back, they're flooded with all the emotion and all of the moving uh, sensations that of what happened to them in the past. Well, that's, that's why the song Just, Just As I Am yeah. hung on for so long yeah. in so many churches because it was that conviction salvation moment for right. so many so people many people because the holy spirit moved on them when they were when that song was being sung right. and so they for the rest of their lives counted it as precious right and and i'm like that's very that's very good it's very understandable i i get it i get yeah. why that would have have staying power yeah and for this in the same tone like okay for instance like good good father a lot of people don't necessarily like that song because they can't get over the idea of a father in their own heads. Right. And they, and, and then some people are like this and that on some of the theology, but when, when it says, when it says, but I know that you're pleased yeah. and I'm never alone. Is God really pleased with every single person that sings this song? Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm yeah. not him, but I didn't get to a place in my theology that I understood that at the baseline, God is pleased with me because he's my father. Yeah. Until I sang it. Yeah. And I will tell you right now, it changed yeah. for me. It changed a particular paradigm that had been going on in my mind. And I'll explain it just a little bit so that people get what I'm saying. Yeah. But in my mind, the Christian life was always this moving carrot, this moving target. Yeah, totally. And you never, you never attain because... None of us ever arrives. Right. We're never going to be perfect until we get to heaven. And it's just always this moving carrot. Yeah. And, and um, that goes against so many other things that you read in the New Testament about godliness. Right. With contentment right. is great gain. Can you be godly? Can you be content? Right. That is everything. Right. And I'm like, huh. So there, not that it's an arrivalist thing, right. but to learn. It's a revelation thing. To learn that God is pleased. Yeah, it's a revelatory moment and, is what it is. And I had to think about it because that also lined up with what I knew as a father. Yeah, totally. Like, do I want Ryland to become more than he is today? Yeah. Absolutely. He's going to become a man. He's going to do man things. And right. I'm looking forward to what that looks like. And so there's going to be progression along the way. Yeah. Am I totally pleased with him as At he this is right moment. now? Love A him to pieces. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Do I want him to change and grow? Yes, yeah. because otherwise he's a stunted, he's stunted at an eight eight year old level and he never progresses past that. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. I would never want that. Right. And it but it's not a moving carrot. It's like, well, just wait till you're 34. That will be much better. <laughs> you know? Then wait till you're 78. That's yeah. gonna be way no, yeah. it's not that. It's it's that along the way. And I've seen that with my dad. Like well, along the way, he's pleased with me yeah. at seventeen. He's pleased well, with me at twenty-one. It's even interesting because I remember there, there's this, there's this thing of loving right now, and it makes you anticipate the future more. I remember when Strong was just starting to get active, and he was very, uh, you know, uh, expressive in terms of uh, the way he would emote and the way he would, you know, his smiling and all this stuff. And I remember telling Caleb, "Man." I can't wait till he can talk to me. I love him so much, and I love interacting with him so much now. I can't wait until I'm able to actually have a conversation with him. And so it was like the window of how much I loved him then made me anticipate what was coming. But yeah. I wasn't like, oh, man, I wish he would just talk. It was like it, it generated excitement in me. And I do. I, like, I look forward to being able to have more serious conversations with him, being able to share legitimate interests with him and not just have to play at his level. I, I look forward to that transition where I get to go from just a parent relationship once he's, you know, an adult to actually getting to be friends. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things that my, my pleasure with him now brings antici anticipation from me about what his future will be. And I think there's, there's a reality of that with God too. He, he sees our potential and I think there is pleasure for him in that. Yeah. I think that that reality of I'm pleased with who you are and who it is going to lead you to be. And uh, yeah, that's good. I, I like that. I do, I do think that <laughs> lines up really well with 
I've I've been in a couple different streams and now I'm in the Nazarene one. Yeah. But it lines up really well with the way the Nazarenes teach salvation and maturity in Christ yeah. and that kind of thing. Because in other streams that I've been a part of, the idea is that we're always struggling. Yeah. And we never arrive. We don't overcome right. different types of things. It's the difference between saying I'm a recovering alcoholic and I've recovered. Yeah. It's two different things. It's, right. it's saying that, and, and also saying, like, God has the power not only to help you keep overcoming, yeah. but to make you an overcomer, to yes. actually cut the tie that binds right. and shed the weight that sets you back. Like, mm-hmm. you have the power to do that. And, and so that lines up, that idea lines up really well. But if we get into, like, parsing out every bit of word, like, not not all of the words in Good Good Father are all in Scripture. They're right. not all found there. Right. And they're just put together in song, and here we go, and we yeah. all sing it. And some people feel good about it. Some people hate it. Yeah. And there it was. Yeah. But for me, it was foundational, and it was changing. Yeah. And I don't know. I've, I've been, as I've been thinking about this music thing and listening to more and more people that condemn the infiltration of, like, electric guitars yeah. or drums or r- even the discussion we're currently having on what people write down into songs, sloppy white kiss, right. you know, things like that where people have a huge problem with particular lyrics or even some people that will not allow a Bethel song to be sung in their church. Right. It's like, man, I don't know what we're missing. Like, yeah. You guys might you you don't know what you're missing. There there is there is so much more to be learned about the depths of the love of God. And if we truly believe that given all the ink that the oceans fill mm-hmm. and if every stalk were a quill and that it's longer than any tongue or pen could ever tell, yeah. then what is the harm of writing these songs? Right. What is the harm in using an electric guitar right. if you really believe the things that are in your old hymns that say, right. the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. Yeah. Well, let's put some pen on paper. Right. Let's, and that's, let's you know, tell it. And, and, it, and yeah, my, my expression is going to look different than yours. So what? There's room for it all. Well, and that's the biggest beef that I have with any kind of, of fundamentalist ideology is because it it reaches a point where you look at where you look at the things of God and you say, okay, this is when he was done. Which... Is is directly contrary yes. to the nature, even the biblically laid out nature of who God is, and so to say, Scripture is complete; it was canonized, and therefore, there God no longer speaks. It is all contained in Scripture. This is no. when it was done. No, there, there is no, there is no. If you're saying the Bible is your source for everything, that is your base for everything. There is nothing to confirm that belief in the Bible. So God talks to people in the Old Testament, people in the New Testament, and everybody that you read about in the Bible, God's talking to them, interacting with them. And then magically, without writing anything in there, yeah. he just shuts it all off. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll quote that uh, scripture from uh, Revelation where it talks about, you know, not adding anything to or taking anything away from. And they'll, and they'll apply that to the entire Bible. I'm like, no, 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 no. That was about the letter of Revelation itself. That was not about the entirety of Scripture. Just it, because it, it appears context. at the end of yeah. the Bible. It, yeah, and that's the thing, too, is this idea that the, the Bible is a linear, a linear book in the way that it's composed. It's not. Like it, and again, any, any seriously serious uh, biblical scholar knows that. Even fundamentalist ones would, would tell you that that's a flawed, flawed approach. Yeah. But a lot of people have that idea. So talking about things just ending, like this is where it just ended. For the Amish, it's one particular time. Yeah. For other people, like God stopped speaking at the end of the right. New Testament. All the gifts ceased with the death of <clears throat> well, the last apostle. And, and this, is, this is part of the problem where people get into calling out other movements. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advocating. Uh, one of the things I respect most about our pastor is that he doesn't call out any other pastor or any other right. movement from the pulpit and point to them by name and say, don't, you know, this is bad. Right. Like, it's fine to take somebody's ideas and take down an idea and say, this idea is not right because yeah. this is what we know about God. 
that's different than calling out people individually. But um, John MacArthur, yeah, I I was reading more on him because I remembered something that came up from the Strange Fire conference that he did, yeah, and all the the flack that he got from that. But more importantly, why he did that was to go after a particular movement, yeah, and and just say anything here. I'll just put it in his words. He calls modern visions, revelations, voices from heaven, dreams, speaking in tongues, prophecy, out-of-body experiences, trips to heaven, anointings, miracles, all false, all lies, all deceptions attributed falsely to the Holy Spirit, and that the charismatic movement has stolen the Holy Spirit, created a golden calf, and they're dancing around the golden calf as if it were the Holy Spirit. He made a list of the gifts of the Spirit, mostly from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, but holds that once the New Testament was finished, these signs and gifts ceased to have a function and ended with the conclusion of the apostolic age around 100 AD. Right. Thank you for finally putting a date on that. Yeah. Because I was really wondering when the Spirit of God left Earth. Right. That's when I, you know... Right. I was really wondering <laughs> and, and when again, that particular date was because... I've I've always kind of thought there would have been somebody in the middle. Yeah. Who had experienced the Lord speaking to them and through them and seeing all these things. Yeah. Up until age 35 and then it went woof. Yeah. Or did or did we just wait until particular people died? Right. Was it and there's nothing in the Bible is, that says genuinely, that God's spirit dies with particular human spirits. I don't get it. And it is genuinely, uh, generally thought that it, it did end with the death of the last apostle. And I believe John being the, the final apostle to die um, is, is what that is. And that's usually attributed so there to was right a around church, that time. Span. There was a church that was functioning in all the gifts of no, the New I, Testament. I get what you're saying. In Corinth or yeah. uh, Thessalonica or something like that. And yeah. One day, John, you know, contracted a cold and eventually passed away, and the Spirit of God just... just yeah, and this is the, the part that I struggle with, too, is like, if, Wouldn't if that that's been weird true, to show up one week, right. if we that's, had this going on, exactly. and the next week there's nothing. Well, and if that's true, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What does He lead us in? We have Scripture. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? And again, I know this has a profound, and I and I know if I was sitting across from a guy like MacArthur, he would give me the the validities of like, no, the Holy Spirit still leads us in this, leads us in righteousness, leads us in, like he he would. And and, and, and this I is don't the thing like that arguing me. with a guy that read the entire Bible so well that he wrote his own commentary on right. every single verse. The man like, is not stupid. He is no. a very intelligent man, and I genuinely believe he has a genuine relationship with the Lord. Sure. I just think he is fixated on the wrong things. The only reason I called him out is because he's. In the business of calling people out. Exactly. I wouldn't call and, any, and, I and that by I nature don't make a practice. And that by it. nature makes you a target. And without I'm, a doubt. And I'm not gonna I wouldn't ever do this type of thing from a pulpit. I'm yeah. fine doing it on a podcast. Totally. Because totally. a podcast is what a podcast right. is. Right. But, but this but this kind of thinking is totally where all of this stuff is born out of. And and again, it I keep saying again, my <laughs> my cousin and I have been talking about the fact that this is just like a weird vocal tick. tick that I have that I just have to say. And he does the same thing. Um, get you a t-shirt that says again, 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 again. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like we've done enough podcasts that I'm actually referring to some point out there in the ether that I've made in the past. So maybe okay. it's real. I doubt it. But anyway, um, where was I going with that before I got distracted by myself? Oh, um, this this idea that that things just randomly cease and that things of creativity and things of movement stop at a certain point and here you can go no further it's all born out of this line of thinking about obsession with losing something obsession with being threatened by a movement um, and again, I, I don't know that a guy like John MacArthur actually cares all that much about these movements other than he genuinely believes they're misleading people. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's probably a lot of turnover from his ministry to these other ministries and vice versa. There may be, honestly, there'd probably be more people who would eventually leave some charismatic things and tend to swing back too far in that direction. Um, but again, we've but, talked about, we talked about it just before we started this. The reality of the Holy Spirit in the world is that there is a pendulum quality to him and that, yes, he will have a movement that will go to this end and then people will take it to excess and run with it too far and he will then 
have another movement that will take it back to center, and then people will run with it and take it too far. So he's constantly, the pendulum is not the Holy Spirit. The pendulum is drawing us constantly to try to find that balancing spot where we're supposed to be in the way that we operate with him. I, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that analogy because if you really believe like what Dwight Moody would say about we have yet to see with what happens with one man or woman who gives their life wholly to Christ, yeah. we have yet to see what he would do. I, I think that's the center point, though. Yeah, but that's going to be pretty. That's going to be pretty extreme on the pendulum scale. Not necessarily, because if it's sourced by the Holy Spirit, there's no problem. And exactly. again, it would it would yeah. be viewed it would but be viewed as extreme. But the problem is is that hu- is that human the perspective nature perspective on what you're talking about. Yeah, what I'm talking about is the tendency of human nature to take things to the extreme beyond what they're meant to be. And I'm not just talking charismatic. I'm not just talking fundamentalist. I'm talking about the extreme edges of both of those that are actually incorrect. Gotcha. Because there's no, truth in saying. there's truth in both of these, or there was a truth or a movement that was correct, but that then was abused by humans who took it and ran with it in a direction that it was never meant to go. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at who that is or what that is or saying what that looks like. Again, there are things that you could point but to on, and on say. But on a power continuum, yeah. from walking in our own power all the way to like being totally filled with the Spirit and walking in His power, yeah. that's, that's where we should want to see it maxed right. in, in the good direction at if, all times. If that, we look like Jesus. Exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. So for the people that say that God has stopped speaking, one of the best arguments I've ever heard for that is a, is a pastor who was dragged before a group of, of elders who he had been telling people that God still speaks. And they're like, well, we definitely don't believe that. Yeah. And he's like, we need you to stop preaching that. And he says basically, okay, I'm a little confused because my understanding was that I'm bringing a word from God to the people and then he says, okay, hold on. Um, how many of you here felt the Lord's call to ministry? Mm-hmm. And they all raised their hand, and he's like, weird, I don't see your names in the Bible. Yeah. How would you say you were called? Yeah. And I think, I think when you break it down like that, all of us believe in a certain element of the Lord still speaking, whether it's through Scripture or through yeah. preaching or through all kinds of different avenues that the Lord can, that the Lord can speak revelation, um, all of that. I, I still believe that the Lord speaks and he still talks, but I, I have, I do struggle a little bit with people saying that that whole movement is wrong because they believe that the Lord still speaks. Right. <clears throat> so one thing that I think that a lot of people could do well in the Christian sphere if we didn't spend our time crashing down Christian movements that we just don't like or we right. feel like too many people are going to the church down the road and not right. to our church, and right. so we feel the need to pick apart why that is, and we can't point the finger at ourselves. Right. We have to point the finger at them. If you feel the need to point the finger at a particular pastor, a uh, particular movement, and say, hey, these guys... They're, they're way off base, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. you need to not go with them. You need to not follow them. Uh, why, why are you saying that? Yeah. And why are you spending your time and your efforts on that instead of your time and your efforts on going and finding people who do not yet know the Lord? Right. And my bigger struggle is with the people that try to invalidate the salvations of people that... Yeah came to know the Lord through a particular movement. A particular movement, right. Just because somebody else's name was at the top of that. Right. Even even some ministers that have ministered for 15, 20 years, and then they fall into sin. Right. Does that mean that everyone that right. came to know Christ in those 20 years has to like go now, be re, re, re-baptized, re-ba- yeah. repent? You know, maybe the Lord used a broken vessel. Yeah. You know, he, he used somebody... That Paul says, whether through false motives or true, the concern is that Christ is preached. Yeah. You know, and, and think, I'm not saying we follow false prophets right. or anything like that. But well, well, And I think that's one of the things that's most interesting about this is because one of the things you commonly hear 
whether it's associated with music or whether it's associated with certain movements, is that a false gospel is being preached. Well, they're preaching a false gospel, preaching a false gospel. And oftentimes I want to look at that and say, what are you talking about? Because the gospel is salvation through Christ and Christ alone, justification through Christ and through Christ alone, by work of his grace, period. Like, that is the gospel. Now, there's all kinds of other things that happen outside of that that are the Christian walk, that are the Christian life. Okay, if you want to pick on those things, go for it. But to say that somebody is preaching a false gospel when they're saying Christ and Christ alone is the means of salvation, and until you come to the foot of the cross, you will not be saved, and he is the only way, that's the gospel. Yeah. And, And you can't separate... I'm sorry, not, can't, it's not separate, but you can't add a bunch of stuff to that and say, well, it's a false gospel because of all these other things. Yeah, there may be some things that are doctrinally questionable. There may be some things that are theologically inaccurate. But if they're preaching Christ and Him crucified, as Paul did, they are preaching the correct gospel. Yeah, and it goes, it goes back to which things are dogma. And, and you're saying, you know, obviously Christ is the salvation of our sins. Yeah. For our sins. Like, He's, he's the one that provides the way for salvation from sin. That's dogma. Yeah. Like, if you get off into there's another way to deal with your sin, eh, then, you're, then you're, you're preaching then a false you're gospel. preaching a false gospel, yes. you know what I mean? But yes. that would also make you not Christian yeah. because it's not founded right. in Christ. Or you if know? you get into, yes, Jesus is the only way, but you also have to do this. Yeah. You're preaching a false gospel. You may gospel. be preaching something. It's just not Christian. Yeah. Like, we don't have to necessarily worry about you. You're preaching something that just isn't Christian. Yeah. But if... If that's what people are preaching, then, you know, don't, don't necessarily lift yourself up against something that may yeah. be anointed by God. Yeah. I mean, they might not be doing things the way that you would do it, yeah. but that doesn't make and them... And it's fine for you to just straight up say, I really don't like this. Yeah. And I'm, un- and I'm unsure about it. That's great. Ain't nothing wrong with that. One of the things that I found troubling about Hell's Bells 2 in the portion that I watched is yeah. when he goes back through history and the, you can see his biases coming through Yes, when he, the music behind like Columbus sailing to America is like, do, 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 do. <laughs> like it's happy, you know, Very classical, oh, happy. this goes yeah. here and this happens here. And I'm like, okay, all of this is like highly controversial. Right. I hope you know, like, and, and largely ignoring like Spanish conquest and that, right. you know, who Columbus was, why he was commissioned. It wasn't to like go save anyone. Exactly. He's not a missionary. Exactly. You know, but then when they're talking about the beat and why the beat of the music is evil, like the way they talk about the African culture. And then when they get larger, like into more rock and roll stuff and going after the Beatles and some other people who, dabbled in like Hinduism mm-hmm. and Eastern mysticism and stuff like that. Yeah, no question. It's a different religion yeah. than than ours, but they're rock musicians. Like we don't expect them yeah. to have necessarily any sort of, I don't know, particular religious belief. Right. But the way they the way they talk culturally about cultures that were not his own from like a U.S. Western standpoint, yeah. I'm like, man, if you believe in a Christianity that only works right. in your area, right? like say your Christianity and the way you believe it only works in the United States, that should probably be a big red flag. Right. Because Jesus was a Middle Easterner, you know, right. of, of Semitic descent. Right. Like, he's... He didn't look like you. Right. <laughs> he came from a culture that wasn't like yours. His music wasn't like yours. Right. His scriptures weren't like yours, and he didn't carry a Bible with him. Right. And this is this is the problem when we tie salvation and when we add to again. And you didn't what, wear a tie or yeah, have a hymnal. Exactly. It's very disappointing, right. this Jesus. <laughs> and this is why it's problematic to add anything as requisite for salvation aside from confession, repentance, and belief. Yeah, because you start to add these other things, they become sacred cows, and they become the things that you have to oppose. They become the things that you have to fight against. <clears throat> and again, I'm all for correct theology. I'm all for correct understanding of the Bible. I'm all for doing the most that we can within human reason, uh, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, to discover who God is and what He has for us in this life. But I am not going to ever 
come to the place where I will ever say that aside from confession, belief, and repentance, there are other things that need to be added into that. I just, I can't. I can't see any any biblical, and the Spirit does not confirm to me anything that would ever lead me down that road. And, and I think we've, we've, made a, we've made a habit of looking at what we're comfortable with, what was familiar to us, and saying, this is the only way. Yeah. And this is, not just, this is not just something that's a problem in fundamentalist movements. I've seen it in charismatic movements as well, where you know, when you have people who say, well, unless you speak in tongues, you're not even saved. No, that is not, that's yeah, that not a thing. That can't be a real deal because yeah. there's, no, there's no record of right. many people speaking in tongues. Right. You know? and, you still have, and you still have the thing of, <laughs> of Paul himself saying, not all speak in tongues. It's like, well, that's pretty plain. It's pretty simple, but we're also instructed not to forbid it. Like there's, there's, there's so many clear biblical things that we just kind of ignore if it's not our brand. That's like, as an aside, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't really like. It's not what I would prefer. Yeah, as right or or hold up as being the standard for anything. It is a gift of the spirit, and it needs and it needs to have. The reverence like, that comes would, with a gift rather, of the Spirit. He's like, I would rather you all prophesy. Yeah. I would rather you all like listen to God, listen to what he says, and then speak it out. Yeah. Which they transferred, like, that's prophecy. Yeah. Okay, like, hearing from the Lord, speaking out what he says, you yeah. know, and, and listening to him saying, hey, what should I do with this? Right. Oh, you should speak it out. Oh, you should write it down. <laughs> oh, you should sing it. Oh, you should, you yeah. know, whatever you should do with it, that's prophecy. Like, yeah. And, and... To hold up and say, say like, on the extreme end, like, you have to speak in tongues or you have to, anyone who speaks in tongues is going to hell. Like, they can't be both true because it's right there. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah and again, the, the, the Nazarene church, as much as I love it, has not been immune to this. I mean, I remember there was a point where, where one, of our, one of our general superintendents, I, I, I'm so annoyed that I can't remember exactly who it was. Because uh, I would name him by name just so that I could let you go and check it out. If, if I figure it out, I'll, I'll reference it again. But who literally stood up in an assembly one time and held up the Bible and a manual of the Church of the Nazarene and straight up said, these are the only two books you need to get to heaven. To which the denomination itself responded very poorly and did not approve of. Um, so there has been those those elements even in the Nazarene Church and and well Nazarene Church <laughs> is a young denomination it's yes. a, roughly a hundred and twenty ish years old something like that yeah so I mean it's it's gone through a certain number of transitions and things like that yeah. did a lot of good things at the beginning and there's been a lot that's been fleshed out over yeah. the last but you're only four generations old right like, and again I mean if you if you take our roots back into into Wesleyanism and and uh, and uh, you know, Methodism and some of those things. Well, Methodism, Wesleyanism are obviously fairly yeah. much the same thing. But but we have a longer history in those things as well. But as far as the denomination itself, yeah, it's absolutely true. Yeah. And, and you know, you go back. I was a part of the Mennonite Church. I was hundreds of years old. And it, it went much longer time. But, you know, yeah. a, a lot of that stuff got flushed out along the way. But the Mennonite church has gone through all kinds of upheaval yeah. in various different forms of it because of the different things that they encountered along the way, but it helped them hammer out a, a confession of faith that was more rooted in the, in the basics of what, what it takes to be a Christian and that right. type of thing. And yet there were still some things in it, like the one that I, I took before I was baptized where I was like, some of this doesn't, work in all situations, <laughs> right. all types. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I get what we're saying here, but there's still right. a little more work to be and done. That's, and that's one of the best things I've ever heard my dad say is I remember him telling me one time, you know, I am completely uninterested in a gospel that doesn't work everywhere. If yeah. it doesn't work, if it's not a gospel that works the same way in Wall Street that it does in the slums of India, I'm not interested in it. That's right. And, and that's true. I mean, it, it, is, it is and should be a gospel that works everywhere. Again, there are cultural differences. There are some of those things, but it is a gospel that will work everywhere if it is the gospel. Yeah, and I didn't necessarily mean this episode to be Mm-mm. coming after any particular person. No, I feel bad for mentioning mentioning John MacArthur by <laughs> name because that'll probably get us. But again, flack. But, but uh, it's like my whole thing is trying to not uh, do what Hell's Bells did yeah. and start with these people 
are evil because time is not going to treat you very well. Yeah. As soon as context is lost for what you're talking about, if it isn't rooted in scripture, it can get really weird. Yeah. If you go back and watch it, we're like 30 years separated or yeah. 25 years separated from a lot of the stuff he's talking about. And you're like, whoa, you yeah. are way off, buddy. Yeah. And, and the same thing can be said about a lot of these things once they lose their context, if they're not, yeah. if they're not understood in love, if they're not anything motivated by fear, right, is going to is going to age poorly. If the basis of it is about fear and fear mongering and trying to scare people out of this particular thing or that particular thing, it can get really weird. Yeah, very depending much so. what you cherry pick as your yeah. But again, the end of all this is not to call out anybody in particular, but it's for us as the church to say, we need to be better about things like this. Sheldon and myself included, you know, we are part of this body. We are part of the church universal, and we don't get an exemption just because we have an opinion one way or the other. This is us. This is our family we have to own. And so this is one of those things where I just want to look at and say, you know, aside, you know, Dealing with our own house, dealing with our own people, yes. There are some things that we would have to say, you know, we're, we're not okay with this, we're not okay with that. There are some of those things that we'll do. But to specifically use a platform to call somebody out, to specifically use a platform to condemn somebody who is doing the work of the gospel to the best of their ability and the best of their knowledge and understanding, that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Christianity should be about helping people up and growing people in strength and yeah. knowledge and that type of thing. And, and lifting people up instead of just taking whoever's on the pedestal and knocking them down. Right. Because then we defeat the whole thing. Then you can't have, you can't have people that are powerful, you know, anointed leaders of, of the church. Or, or they'll get knocked down for something they spoke out of turn or yeah. something they did wrong, which is the whole point of the things we say. Right. We're saying... There are, there are things that people say along the way, but you can't, we can't become a culture that just knocks everyone down off right. their pedestal as soon as right. we have the opportunity. We've got to be about calling people up and saying, you know what, there's a pedestal for you too. If you, yeah. if you really and take that power spectrum to the max, give yourself wholly to the Lord and say, yeah. God, I want to do anything that you want me to do. I'm, I'm wholly yours, 100%. Let's see, let's see where you go. Right. You know? Right. And, and we, people, I think it was Pastor Ron that said this once, that people will come from miles around to watch someone burn. Yeah. You know, somebody that's full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Just burning with the fire of God from any sort of platform. You can crawl up on a milk crate. You can crawl up on a stage. Yeah. You can be on TV, whatever it is. There's, there's a platform for those that give themselves wholly to the Lord. Yeah. What's not great is the people that make their own platform just throwing stones. Yeah. Jess made a really good point about this. A lot of the people that you will find on YouTube and Facebook and stuff doing all these videos that try and call a particular person down, those people wish they had as many followers as the person that they're calling down. Yeah. And it really just belies a little bit of jealousy going on. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's this weird dynamic that's happened where where there are some who equate success automatically with being of the world. Yes. That unless it's hard, unless it's bad, unless your church is small, unless your, 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 your parishioners are few, you are not actually addressing. And I get it. Like I, I get that there's an aspect where you're trying to maintain purity, where you're trying to hold on to, what you have accomplished or what you have done. And I don't think it's an issue of pride so much as it's an issue of fear. And uh, I, I just struggle with that idea that success automatically equates to you've compromised in some way. Um, because again, the church exploded when it first first hit in the first century. It, it, it was persecuted by the world, yes, uh, but it, it exploded and it grew exponentially. Some of the most uncompromising people have the largest following. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it is weird this turn that this has taken. I didn't actually anticipate that this is where we would. Go I have with no it. idea what to title this podcast. I don't. I don't know, but I. <laughs> but I think it's good. I think it's. I think it's a timely discussion. I mean, these these things matter. And again, when it comes down to, I gotta stop saying again. I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, when it comes down to it, 
if if we were to, if I were to sit across the table from from somebody who is a fundamentalist and we're going to take communion together, I would do it. They're still a brother or sister in Christ. That's our question. We disagree, but there's going to come a point where we're going to see his face and we're not going to disagree anymore. So right. I'm, I'm content with saying, let's agree to disagree now. And when we meet on the other side, let's, let's find out what matters. <laughs> and if MacArthur was sitting right here, I would say, man, I'm, you're a powerful brother of the Lord. Yeah. I love you. I believe you're going to heaven. I'm, I want to see what both of us... And there's people who will be in heaven because of Where both of us end up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and I've gained a, a lot of understanding from some of the things that he's written. I, right. I really, really do right. love it. I, I'm just not cool with you, like, punching other brothers in Christ. <laughs> like, this is not, yeah. not a good, good look, bro. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but Totally. I don't even know what to do for an action step for this one. Hey, action step as always. Uh, we enjoy your feedback. This always. whole episode just came because somebody started me down a trail in Hell's Bells. And we were in a random mood. And we were in a random mood. We're <laughs> short on sleep. We're, you know, <laughs> yes. We're maybe not at our premier yes. uh, mental capacity. But uh, hey, you know, talk to us, send us an email, give us a shout out on Facebook, however you choose to interact with us. It's awesome. Um, and yeah, yeah. Just, Give us your feedback on this one. We're cool with it. Yeah, and we'll bring you something ridiculous next week. I'm sure. Because it's, it's, t- it's time. It's, it's time. time to do something more fun. But either way, thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.